enlightened, not binding. We're going to try and cover verse 21 to 23. Actions of enlightened, not binding. We all act. When we act based on our vasanas, we have a choice. We can act in a way so that we exhaust our vasanas, or we can act in a way where we increase our vasanas. Normally, when you have no understanding of this knowledge and you just act normally, you're increasing your vastness. Hence, life after life after life, keep rebirthing. You die, you're reborn. You die, you're reborn. What's that uh, in Pajagainam? Punarapi Janama. Yeah, that's it. Like you keep born, die, born, die. Or you can act in a way that you exhaust your vastness. And if you do that, you're not generating new ones, you're exhausting the ones that you already have. And if you do that, ultimately you reach self-realization. In the simple terms, that's basically it. How do you exhaust your vastness? while acting. And if you know how to do that, then you reach self-realization. Everything else, all it's talking about is making you understand this. This All this knowledge is just trying to make you understand this. Act in this way, you'll exhaust your vasanas. If you don't, you'll carry on increasing them and you carry on birth, death, birth, death cycle. So a self-realized soul, when he acts, they're not binding, meaning he doesn't increase his vasanas. He just exhausts whatever vasanas he's got. This is basically what this topic is talking about. Does that make sense, everyone? So when you make when you when you do an action, how do you act so you don't create new ones? That's the bottom line. So a quick recap, this third topic, talking about a self-realized person. When he merges with the self, he or she becomes self-realized, meaning they are free from desires. No more new desires are generated. Actions no longer bind them to the world. They become free from suffering and sorrow. They're totally liberated. Meaning, they are free from the pairs of opposites, free from worldly involvement. This is the state of a self-realized person. And any one of us can reach this state. 
all of us can reach that state if we put in the right effort. What do we need to reach that state? What do we need? Knowledge. Knowledge of the self. We need knowledge of the self, which you are all gaining. As you gain knowledge, it removes our ignorance. Right now, we are all ignorant of the self. But with knowledge, you are removing that ignorance. This knowledge explains to us what the purpose of life is and how to fulfill that purpose. Right now, we have no idea what the purpose of life is. I want a bigger house, better job. But we think that's the purpose of life. More money in the bank. I want to be happy. You don't understand what the word happiness means. So what I'm saying is that we don't know what the purpose of life is. We are made up of the body, mind, intellect, and spirit. Right now, we only identify with the material layers of our personality, the body, mind, intellect, and not the spirit. We, and the whole life, we're just catering to that, the physical body, the mind, and intellect. So what this knowledge does, it shifts our focus from the material layers, the body, mind, intellect, to the spirit. That's what it does. It shifts our focus. This is who we really are. We are not the body, mind, intellect. We are the spirit, which we also call the self, Atman, Brahman. I know you've heard it all before, but it's, it's always good to remember that before a class. Why am I coming here? Because I need knowledge of the self, because I'm not this body, mind, intellect. I'm the self. The more I learn about this, the more my ignorance is removed. Correct? Great. Any questions? Okay. So that's what this knowledge teaches. All the scriptures, that's all they teach us. Knowledge of the self. So verse 20 we covered. Quick recap. A self-realized person, how does he act in the world? He performs action without attachment to the fruit of action meaning the result of action. He just acts because that's the right thing to do. His body is made for acting, action, and so he acts. No agenda to his action. In contrast, any action that we perform in life, an unself-realized person, is motivated by the fruit. If I do this, what will I get? If I do this for you, what would you do for me? This is how we think. Dad, if I wash your car, how much will you pay me? It all has a motivation. The result of that action, the result is called the fruit. Any questions on that? Anyone disagree with that statement? So, a sage, a wise person is said to be self-sufficient. He is not dependent on anything in the world for his happiness. He is content with the bliss, happiness of his own self. 
He revels in that. Once you experience that identification with the self, the happiness you gain, nothing else in the world can compare to it. So he's reveling in that. In contrast, a person who is involved in the world, who is attached to the fruit of the action, is constantly agitated, always discontented. Why is he agitated? Why is he discontented? Anyone? Why is he always discontented? Why are you all agitated and discontented? He can say, no, I'm not. When he can say, I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Why are we agitated and discontented? When all of us are. Is it because we're we are looking for the self within and all the materialistic stuff that comes with it causes the agitations because it causes attachment and everything. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Vinda. But simple answer. Deepa? It's the basic stuff. Because all our are not restricted. Your wants. Sorry? It didn't, it didn't catch you. I think my Wi-Fi is a bit... Yeah, it's a bit uh, agitated. Is it because happiness is short-lived? Happiness short-lived. Because the desires are never-ending. So that's why we're constantly agitated. Our desires are never-ending. If you do fulfill one desire, another one is only around the corner and the agitation starts again. You fulfill one desire, another one pops up. This goes on forever, throughout your whole life. Even on our deathbed, if only I did this, why didn't I do that? You're still agitated. You're ready to meet your maker. You're still, you're still worried about the world. Fulfill one desire, another two are ready to pop up. And it's unfulfilled desires that agitates us, nothing else. A self-realized person creates no more vastness, no more desires. Hence, he is completely happy. Next time, just do this exercise next time. Next time you're agitated, yeah? unhappy. Think for a second, why am I feeling this way? Why am I agitated? And if you think it'll go down, it'll, it'll, and ultimately, if you have the capacity, you'll find that it's due to an unfulfilled desire. Ah, that's why I'm agitated. My husband asked him to do this one thing and he didn't do it. He is happy, but you're agitated. It boils down to that one desire. 
I have to say husband because there's more ladies here than men, you know. So, agitated because of that one desire. Any questions? So, to see the difference between a normal person and a self-realized person. So, if you want to be happy, what do you need to do? Nilam, what do you need to do? You want to be happy? Um, study the knowledge of the self so and that you merge with the self so you get rid of all your desires. Reduce your desires. Reduce your desires. The less you have, the less agitations. Great. Okay, verse 21. Nira siryata chittatma tyakta sarva parigraha shari ram kevalam karma kurvanaknota kilbisam nira siryata chittatma tyakta sarva parigraha Shariram kevalam karma kurvanapnota kilbisam. Hoping for naught with mind and body controlled. Having relinquished all possessions, doing mere bodily action, he incurs no sin. This is, we're continuing what a self-realized person is like, how he acts, how he behaves, hoping for nothing. His body and mind are controlled, relinquished all possessions, just acting, he incurs no sin. So an enlightened soul is said to be self-sufficient. He's not dependent on anything in the world. He is not reliant on anything the world offers. No craving for anything. Fully content in life. This is a self-realized person. Meaning he's not chasing for sensual pleasures for the physical body. The mind is not craving for emotional joys. The intellect does not chase after intellectual satisfaction. As I said before in the introduction, is reveling in the bliss of the self. Nothing in the world compares to that. Hence, why would he want anything? He lives in the present, happy and content. Wherever he is, whatever his state. He requires nothing for the future. So this, you might think, say, well, why do we need to learn this? I'm not there. Why do I want to know? Because this is the goal. And you can only compare what that state is compared to how you are now. My attitude is, if I get that, I'll be happy. His attitude is, I don't need anything. I'm so happy, I don't need anything. If I get that, I'll be happy. This attitude destroys our peace. Why does it destroy our peace? Anyone? 
If I get this, I will be happy. Why does it destroy our peace? If my son gets married to a good girl, I'll be happy, or my daughter. Damash? As soon as you complete one desire. So your volume's a bit low. And it's never ending. Damash, your volume's a bit low. Can you? It's never ending desires. You fulfill one and another one comes and another one comes and another one comes. There yeah. is no end end game. So sure. You're always agitated. So when are you going to be happy then? You're not. Not real happiness. Anybody else? If I get that, I will be happy. Yeah, Vanita? It, all your desires are insatiable because the happiness get, has to have a bigger experience each time because you're now looking for the next bigger thing to make you happier. Mm. Yeah. So? You're basing your happiness on other objects and beings. Mm. Yeah. And the world can't cater to our needs and desires. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're right. All of you are right. But this specific sentence, if I get that, I will have, be happy. Just think of that particular sentence. If I get that, I'll be happy. What are you saying? It's just English grammar. Forget philosophy. Vanillam. Is it that you're, you can't be happy without it? Yeah, you're halfway there. Or you're not happy anyway. <laughs> you can only be happy if you get it. <laughs> so what does that mean? When will, you, when will you be happy? Never. Never. <laughs> Dermis? Yeah. You're talking about future happiness. Yeah. And does so that come? Happy in the present. Yeah, exactly right. We're always living in the future. Never in the present. If I get that, I'll be happy. So right now you're miserable. <laughs> if I get that, I'll be happy. Why not be happy with what you have right now? Why are you putting your happiness in the future? We're always living in the future, never in the present. That one statement, remember this statement, yeah, this will always, write it down somewhere. Never let your happiness depend on future acquisition. Never let your present happiness depend on future acquisition. Because if you do, you'll never be happy throughout your life. Whatever stage you are in life, always try to be content. You can still aspire for more. We're not saying never aspire for anything more. There's no harm in that. But be happy now, today. Your life will change if you remember this statement. Any questions? 
Yeah, Ravi. Oops, sorry. I was just going to say that mindset is to do with um, everything. If you think of your work life and that, um, I, I, I put it down to more sort of when you're looking at sales targets or achievements. If you, as you said, if you look at the future or focus on that, you actually miss achieving that because you're not focusing on what you need to do to get there in the first place. Absolutely. Your mind is agitated. When will I get that? I think we're pre-programmed, unfortunately, with our mindset is like that because that's how the world works, isn't it? We are always wanting to acquire something and that's what we look at. That's how we're brought up in our, with that mindset. Absolutely. Society itself, companies, marketing, they're all pushing this. I have the iPhone 9. I have it from 1 to 9. Now I'm unhappy with this phone. I want iPhone 10. What is it now? iPhone 13 now. Companies push you all the time. And now you have the iPhone 12 and you're not going to be happy until you get the iPhone 13. My friend's got one. I know somebody else has got one. That's it. I need that one. This, what is this rubbish? You've only had it for six months. <laughs> so this is how it works. This is how society works, as you said, Benita. But So we need to remove ourselves from that by strengthening ourselves. So we're not affected by these things. Be content with what you have. We have so much. We have so much. Relinquished all possessions. Having relinquished all possessions. Verse 21 we're doing. What does that mean? Relinquished all possessions. Literally, it means he has given up all his possessions. But that isn't the case. Doesn't mean he gives everything away, literally. What does it mean? Anyone? Dermesh? He stops calling stuff mine. Sorry? He stops calling stuff mine. It's not his okay. in his mind. Mentally, he's given them all up. He's mentally, he's given it all up. Absolutely. He has given up the possessive attitude. This is mine. He has given up the possessive attitude over his possessions, not the possessions themselves. Okay, I'm going to try and get to self-realization. Guys, take whatever you want. I don't need anything. They don't mean that. It's your attitude over it. We are possessive over everything we have. The mind is. This is mine, not yours. This is my son, my daughter, my car, my house, my business, my money. See, everyone has possessions. Even a beggar on the street has a bowl and a blanket. It's my bowl, my blanket. It's that attitude over your possessions. That's what he's talking about. Relinquished all possessions. See what people literally read that and give everything away. Join an ashram. That's it. I'm done. 
The mind is still agitated. King Janaka was a king. He had all the riches, but he, he was said to be totally detached from his riches. Because this is the attitude he had. He wasn't possessive over anything. So it's our attitude over our possessions. When we are possessive, it creates mental agitations. Because you feel as if someone's going to take your things away from you. We cannot live life, live life like that. You give everything away, join a religious group, then you have regrets. Why did I do that? Remember, you came with nothing and you're going to leave with nothing. In fact, we came naked. We all came naked. We'll go with some clothes. That's it. Everything else is going to stay here. Emma, everything's going to stay here. So what are you possessive over? What else do we take with us? Anyone? Forget material things. What else do we take with us? Vanita? All the knowledge that we've acquired from the wisdom that we've gained in this life. Perfect. Positive. All the knowledge we have gained, wisdom we have gained about the self we take with us. What else? That's the positive. What's the negative we take with us? Vanila? Is it our, our residual vastness? Our residual vasanas. Our vasanas and the results of all our actions, our karma, whilst in this present birth, good and bad, we take this to our next life. That's what we take. And that propels our next life. Any questions? Nilam, could you read the first paragraph, please? The enlightened one revels in the bliss of the self within. He remains self-sufficient all his life. He does not depend upon worldly objects or beings for his happiness. Neither does he hope for the future to provide him with anything. He lives in the present, absolutely fulfilled and blissful with his own self. Consequently, his body does not need to run after the central pleasures of the world, nor does his mind crave for emotional joys, nor his intellect yearn for intellectual satisfaction. The perfect one is further described as having relinquished all possessions. It means only that he has renounced his egocentric sense of possessiveness with respect to his possessions. Any embodied person is bound to have possessions. Possessions need not disturb one. It is possible to possess enormous material wealth and not be affected or agitated by it. King Janaka exemplifies such perfection. Possessions themselves cause no harm or disturbance, but the attitude of possessiveness towards possessions ruins a person's peace of mind. Possess possessiveness, not possessions, creates mental agitations and sorrow. Instead of learning and practicing this great quality of detachment towards possessions, people simply drop their possessions in the name of religion and suffer, suffer from repression. Well done. Thank you. Now, how does the sage self-realized soul acts? He acts selflessly. 
three types of action, selfish, unselfish, selfless. Everyone knows unselfish. I'm sorry, everyone knows selfish actions, don't they? We don't need to be taught that. That comes naturally, selfish actions. Everyone understands unselfish actions after you. But selfless actions, completely different kettle of fish. We're not going to go into it right now. Self-realized sage acts selflessly. He has no motive to act, no desires. He's free from agitations, always peaceful. And happy, he creates no further vasanas. He's free from sin. What is sin? What is sin? Yeah, Damesh? Desires or agitations. Sin means agitations created by unfulfilled desires. When your desires are unfulfilled, you're agitated. When you're agitated, you're creating sin. Sin isn't, I'm supposed to do 10 maras, I've only done five today, oh no. That isn't sin. Self-realized soul creates no further vastness. Unlike an ignorant person, meaning a person without self-knowledge, his actions are propelled by selfish, self-centered motives. Actions are propelled by selfish, self-centered motives. What's in it for me? What can I get? Therefore, he's constantly agitated. And this never stops because it's constantly creating new desires, new vastness. It's a lot to take in. Where's the self-realized person where we are? We have a lot of work to do. Nilam, second. Yeah, so if we're thinking about um, selfishly or self-centered at the emotional level, somebody might think that acting um, or doing a good deed, okay, um, is acting selfishly, okay? So if I'm helping a community or I'm helping any, if I'm doing something that is helping, okay, volunteering or whatever, okay, um, that would be seen as a uh, unselfish action, okay? However, there could be an emotional attachment to that where I feel that sense of, I suppose, fulfillment that I feel I am giving my time or energy in doing that selfish, unselfish action, that, that in essence would be seen as a good desire or a good action that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But because I've got that fulfilled feeling with it, that's still acting as being self-centered. Yes. So although I'm increasing my desire or vasana, okay, because that fulfillment really fills that void mm -hmm. that is within me. You'd, you'd question it and say, well, I, I, it's better off acting like that than actually not doing the act, not, 
not not volunteering, volunteering and giving my time and energy, surely one would question and say, well, actually, I still am acting better than not doing it. That's a good question. Any idea? Did people get? Did people understand the question? Any clarifications to the question? So what's Sittle saying? Damesh, what's Sittle saying? Can you recap it? If she does a good deed or she helps volunteer and she's happy and she wants to be happy from that experience, it's a good deed she's doing, but she's causing herself agitation in the future. Okay. What she needs to do is do the action and not worry about the reward as such. Just do the action. Okay. No, no, no. So what Sittle is saying is that I'm doing an unselfish action. I'm volunteering at the local care home. Free. And they're receiving this with gratitude, the care home. And I feel good about it. Positive emotions. I enjoy it. I like it. Makes me feel good. So is it better to do that or not do it at all? Correct? Because you're saying that that's still self-centered. So is that still self-centered? That's the question, yeah? What? Anybody know the answer? Um, it depends if you're doing that action and expecting to receive that, even to say, I, you know, I, I do this action and I want to feel good about it, because you have an expectation there. If you do the action and just do it without any expectation of anything, okay, your emotions are there, but you're not expecting it. You just go and do it wholeheartedly and there is no concept. Even that feeling, if your mindset is, I'm going to do this deed because it's going to make me feel happy, then you're expecting something out of it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it can, see, if you just do the action and that's it, regardless of how you feel thereafter, okay, you're just going there, doing, your, doing whatever you need to do, and that's it. Yeah. Don't get attached to that feeling of well being, of that good feeling. If you get attached, then your action, that same action, is fueled by that feeling. You know, I really enjoyed that. I felt so good about it. And you're reveling in that happiness, yeah? Not that you shouldn't, okay? But that reveling in that happiness means, you know what, next week, I'm going to do two days. I really enjoyed it. Makes me feel good. Now, if you concentrate on that feeling of being good, then you're being self-centered. Why? You're increasing your desires. Everyone appreciates what you've done. One day you go there, someone says, hey, you shouldn't do it like that. Do it like this. And you feel offended. I'm giving my time. And you, know, you don't feel happy. So you're doing it for that feeling rather than just doing it. So when you do it, that action, it's unselfish action. You're helping, absolutely, good action. But you can spoil it by getting attached to the feeling. Yes, it does make me feel good, fine. I'm not gonna get attached to that. 
if you do act, if you act in that way, you're reducing your vasanas. If you act by being attached to that feeling afterwards, you're increasing your vasanas. Yeah, Venita. So if it does it also depend on your personality, I think, because if your sodharma is as such that you, you're not that type of person, but then you're for you're not forcing, but you're doing something against your personality, then you're gonna have some agitation about it, whether it's now or later, because it's not something you're naturally drawn to doing anyway. You're doing it, I don't know, in a in a in a way where your mind you're trying to persuade your mind that it's a good deed. Does that See, you know what I'm saying? You can turn any deed into a good deed. Yeah, you'll only care, go to a care home and work there if it's your sadhana to work in that environment and helping others. But that's not the only way of being unselfish. There's loads of ways of being unselfish. Based on your sadhana, you can do an unselfish action that's right for you. Yeah. But it's getting attached to that feeling. You know what I did last week? I Four days I went to the soup kitchen. You're telling everyone, you should come with me. You're just massaging your ego. Yeah. So it's the same as saying, oh, I do these classes. They're really good. They're helping me. You should come to the class. But that person has no interest in, because it's not a part of their personality. You can't make them. You can't, you can't make them. But it's the same way you might doing something that you think is a good deed, but it's causing some kind of, you need some kind of experience from it. So whether it's mental or physical, you need like, I don't know how to describe it, um, where you feel satisfied in some some way. And you then you want that satisfaction. You're drawn to that satisfaction, that desire of that satisfaction. That's what's propelling the action. It's no longer an unselfish, it's still an unselfish action as such, but you're doing it for the wrong reason. So, what the great sages say, act for the sake of acting, not for the result. Just do your action, whatever that may be. Don't worry about anything else. Perform the action for the sake of acting. Yeah. So I tried to capture what you were saying, okay, mm. in a sense. So don't spoil good actions by having an expectation or reveling in the good feeling yeah. it gives me as it massages my ego. Right. So I suppose um, the question arises, but if there's a feeling of um, doing the unselfish action, but actually doing it in gratitude to think, I'm blessed, I've been given this opportunity to serve, mm -hmm. and I'm serving, um, and being grateful to God mm. that he's chosen me to be able to do this, mm. is that still massaging, is that still being self-centered? <laughs> now we're splitting hairs here. And I ain't got any to split. 
you can do the action with the form of being in gratitude mm. to think that, you know. Just do it for the reason of doing. A lady needs crossing the road, you just help her cross the road. She says, thank you or not thank you, it doesn't matter to you. That is the right action to do. You help her cross the road and you say, she'd even say thank you. You spoiled the action. It's no longer an unselfish action. It's a self-centered action. You did it because you wanted her blessing. <laughs> you do it because it's the right thing to do. Now, when you do unselfish action, why are you doing it? Because that is the right way to act to reach my goal of self-realization. That itself is also motivation, but it's a good desire. It's a good motivation. That's my goal in life. That's why I'm doing this. We won't linger anymore on this. We'll have a private conversation later, so. Nilam. Living the, oh, sorry, living the above disciplines, the perfected soul acts in the world as others do, but with one difference. Others act with selfish and self-centered motives. They incur mental agitations and develop Bhasna's desires, whereas the perfected being acts selflessly. He does not leave behind any footprints or Vasana's desires, like a bird flying in the sky. Such is the life of perfection. No sins incurred. Sin means mental agitations created by desire-ridden activities. Perfection absolves all sins, all agitations, and leaves one in a state of perfect peace and bliss. Thank you. After that action, you feel good. That's your reward. You help a lady cross the road. You feel good. That is your reward. That feeling of good is your reward. But don't be attached to that feeling. Then you spoil it. Then you're looking for another lady to help cross the road because you want to feel good again. That's the problem. In simple terms. Any questions? Okay, next verse. Yadar chala pasantusto dvanvati to vimatsaraha samah siddha vasiddho cha kritvapi nani batyate yadar chala pasantusto dvanvati to vimatsaraha samah siddha vasiddho cha Content with whatever is got unsought, rising above the pairs of opposites, free from envy, equanimous in success and failure, though acting, he is not bound. So we continued. A man of perfection is described here as one who is unaffected by the results of his actions, success or failure. He has put in the right action he can put in. There's nothing else he can do. A farmer plants seeds to grow whatever, rice, or whatever he plants. He plants them in the best way possible. Now, 
is dependent on the weather conditions, if they grow or not. They can all be spoiled, but he's put in the right action. There's nothing else he could do. So man of perfection is unaffected by the results of his actions, success or failure. He is in harmony with his environment. He accepts his situation, whatever that may be. What it means is that he's completely happy from within. So the external situation doesn't affect him. What clothes he's wearing, what car he's driving, how big his house is, he's completely happy. Not attached to any of those things. Whatever the external situation doesn't affect him. Ravi, paragraph one. Perfection is indicated here as a state of harmony with both the effects of actions and the environment. Most people tend to feel affected by the results of their actions. They rejoice when success greets them. They grieve when failure comes their way. They are never content with what they have or what they gain. They always crave for more and more. They therefore rush to the external world and bind themselves with their own actions. They become entangled and enmeshed in the affairs of the world. Thank you. This is the difference. Self-realized soul is unaffected by anything. We bind ourselves to the world and are affected by everything. He is self-sufficient, not interested in the joys of the world. He has risen above the pairs of opposites that make up the world. The world is made of pairs of opposites, profit and loss, heat and cold. He continues, these fluctuations do not affect him. In contrast, we're affected by everything. Weather is cold, we're affected, but it's January, it's going to be cold. We want it to be 30 degrees in January, we're affected. Why did he say that to me? Doesn't he know who I am? Other people's words and actions affect us. Shilavan. Why? Why do we let it affect us? Rise above it. People will say good things, people will say bad things. Rise above it. Remember one thing, people act, will act based on their nature, their vastness. We need to understand this. We have to accept this. And if we accept this, it'll help you in life. My husband is like this. This is his good qualities, this is his bad qualities. I have to accept both of them. This is who he is. To be affected or not to be affected is in our hands. Nobody else's. Everyone has good and bad values. This knowledge helps us rise above the pairs of opposites that make up this world. Man of perfection has no ill feeling towards his fellow men, such as envy, hatred, jealousy. Instead, he loves all fellow beings. You know that guy's a crook. Stay away from him. He loves him. This guy's a sage. He loves him. It doesn't matter. 
Why does he love everyone? Any idea? Yeah, Vanita? Because he's looking at the self, reflection of the self within that person, not the outer layer of that person. Absolutely, absolutely. The self in me is the self in him. He may be a criminal. He may be a godly person, but the self is the same. And he identifies with that. Look at that guy. He hasn't showered for five days and he isn't in shape. He doesn't identify with that. He identifies with the self within. He's not affected by success or failure. He merely performs his obligatory duty without expectations. And he's happy with whatever he gains from his actions. You read the life of Swami, Rama, uh, Swami Ramatita, Swami Tapavan. I was just reading last week, Swami Tapavan in the 30s. He goes, he wants to go to Mount Kailash. He's in Tibet, he's in Nepal, Kathmandu, and he wants to go to Mount Kailash. And he walks, he walks there. You know how, how far that is? But the king in Kathmandu, he revels in his presence and said, I will give you everything. I'll make, I'll help you to get there. Gives him a horse. He sits on the horse and he feels sorry for the horse. I can't sit on a horse. I'll only walk. After a certain point, he has to go on his own. The king gives him money. I don't want any money. Another possession, another attachment. God wants me to go there, he'll direct me there, he'll take care of me. That's his attitude. He wouldn't even take any money. And he knows it's perilous. Where will he get his next meal from? He doesn't even know that. That's how much faith he has. I'm telling you this because we are completely opposite. But this is a man of perfection. He just performs his duty without expectations, happy with whatever he gains from his actions. And this way of functioning does not create new vastness that binds him to the world. Instead, he exhausts his current vastness. So at the physical, mental, and intellectual level, he's completely fulfilled and content. Ravi, second paragraph. A perfect human being, however, has self-sufficiency. He does not chase material wealth and sensual enjoyment. Whatever his actions provide him in the world, he accepts wholeheartedly. He seeks nothing material. Material things come to him without his seeking them. He remains content with them, at the physical level, he rises above the pairs of opposites like heat and cold, war and peace, birth and death. He maintains a balance in and through those fluctuations inherent in life. At the emotional level, he is full of love and affection for his fellow being. Hence, he harbors no negative feelings like envy, jealousy, malice, or hatred. At the intellectual level, he maintains perfect balance between success and failure. His focus lies on action and never on its results. He performs his obligatory functions, expecting nothing. 
he remains ever content with whatever results accrues from his work. Consequently, he does not develop any vastness furthermore. His existing vastness gradually become exhausted. The reduction of vasana frees him from bondage to the world. His actions, therefore, do not bind him. They liberate him. So that's the difference. His actions liberate him from the world. Our actions attach us more to the world. The actions bind us to the world more. And that's the major difference. Any questions? Kevin, any question? So this is what we need to aspire to. Wherever we are, whoever we are, start by being unselfish. Try and help others. When you have a desire pop up, analyze it. This is how you can use this knowledge. Do I need this? No, I don't. Forget about it. Agitation stops. The more you think about it, the more it fuels it. You'll know it. And the more agitated you become. Start like that. And this is how you apply the knowledge. Slowly, slowly, you'll be able to deal with bigger things, bigger problems, bigger desires. Don't place your happiness in the future acquisitions. Remember that. Everyone should be happy today now. Content. Rajesh, whatever Bella has cooked, you will be happy today. No expectations. Why didn't you cook that? That's it. Live happily. Be happy. That's what life is about. We are blessed. All of us are blessed. Thank, say thank you. God, I'm blessed. Thank you for the blessing. And that's how we should live life. And then aspire for more if necessary. That's it. Any questions? We'll stop there. That's enough mental abuse I've given all of you today. It's hard to, uh, hard to absorb these things, you see, it's so abstract for us. It's so alien to us. How can the person live like that, you think? Where am I? Where is this person? How can I become like that? It's so alien to us to understand that. One step at a time. Good. Okay, well, join us next week and we will continue. There's two more verses in this uh, topic. And we'll finish this topic. Thank you. Thank Have a good day. Have a lovely day.